Okay, so I want to talk today, I'm going to um, continue this series, Did God Say? Um, and I want to talk about the Ten Commandments, which are a really popular topic. Everybody loves them. Yeah, but everyone knows them. Tell me one of them that you know. What about it? Thou shall not commit adultery. Okay, what else? Thou shall not steal. Come on, you've all got your catechism in school. See how good you say. Thou shall not kill. Okay, there's three. Covet thy neighbor's wife. Or his donkey either. Yeah. I don't know why they were all in the same sentence, but anyway. That's four. Don't bow down to images yet. There's five. No other gods. That's six. God, you're doing well. Fair play to you. You'd have never got your confirmation made, but you're not doing bad. Right, that's, another, that's one there, all right. You don't be looking at your kids saying that, Mary. That's not good. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, yes, God did say the Ten Commandments, and he gave them just two places in Scripture where they're, where they're mentioned. One is in Deuteronomy, and one is in Exodus. And I just want to read it from the book of Exodus for you. And then I want to just look at them for a few minutes. But I want to talk really about how we look at them. Not whether they exist or not, but how we actually look at them. Um, and the fourth one, just let me read this. It says, I am the God, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God and my jealous God, visiting the inequity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, for showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, your cattle. I don't know how cattle work, but anyway. Nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth to see and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. <coughs> Excuse me. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Dead on. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I learned them as a kid as a list of rules. And things that... And they were all things you couldn't do. And for years, I just had a sense that God was just someone who wanted to stop me doing anything that I wanted to do. Because all the rules I heard was what you can't do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do the other. You're going to hell if you do this. You're going to burn if you do that. All of that. What religion taught me was that God was someone who just wanted to spoil everything and stop everything. And, and the reality of it is, Yes, God wanted to stop people doing stuff, but there was reasons behind all of the stuff he wanted them to stop doing. They were coming from a place where all of this stuff was obviously happening. There was all kinds of weird and mad stuff going on in Egypt. 
And he was trying to create a community and he was trying to show them a way to live together. But he wanted to show them a way to live in relationship with him as well. And what got seen as a way of direction, and even in our translation, the way they're translated, it's like commandments. They're like, there's nothing wrong with the word commandment. If you believe God who he is, then he has every right to command me to do what he wants to command me to do. Because in a blink of an eye, he can take my life away. But he's not that kind of God. I want to go through the ten of them for a minute. And then I just want to, um, I want to talk that bit about perspective. And then I want to hopefully leave a couple of minutes for questions and answers at the end. Number one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage. No, go back. Your way to the first one. Yeah, that's it. You shall have no other gods before me. Now here's the thing, in them days they had all these weird and wonderful things like Asherah and Molech and all these other kind of gods that they had. And we don't really have them now. You don't see people going out and putting up Asherah poles and bowing down to them or or setting up this kind of god or that kind of god in Dublin, very often anyway. Sometimes in Crumlin we have bonfires, but other than that. But the reality is we've loads of other gods in our life. Loads, sex, drugs and rock and roll, money, security. Where is your security? Is it in God or is it in your money? Where is your essence for how you feel worthwhile? Where you get your sense of self-esteem from? Is it from Facebook or is it from God? Is it from a relationship with a human being or is it from God? Anne was a God in my life because I lived my life around keeping her happy. To the extent that I would have kept her more happy than I kept God. So there are different things happening in our lives that can take the place of God very easy. And they're not necessarily bad things. They're just in the wrong place, in the order of things. It's going very quiet in here. Okay. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the air below. Number two. Don't make things and worship them. And maybe you're not making a golden calf and bound down to it, but I've seen people bound down to their telly and bound down to their car and bound down to their clothes and bound down to their fashion and bound down to this and bound down to that. And you're not physically doing this, but in your head and in your life, we're running our life around things. And the Lord says we're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, my car is never going to get me to heaven. And neither is me telly or the latest DVD player or even Netflix as much as I love it. But my spirit can only connect with a spirit. And there's something inside every one of us which is a spirit that's screaming out to connect with God. We connect it with all kinds of things, but it's screaming out inside of us to connect with God. And God knows that if you connect with him, you'll do all right. But if you connect with all the other things in one and two, you're going to be left short. You put your security in money, money will let you down. And it doesn't matter whether you have loads of money or no money, it will still let you down. Because when you have no money, you're worried because you have no money and you think you're going to be homeless or you'll have bills and all that kind of stuff. And when you have loads of money, you're worried you're going to lose your money. So it doesn't bring the peace or the security or any of the stuff that we think it will. Stuff won't bring it for us. 
You might be happy for two weeks when you get the new TV, but after that you'll be thinking about something else. Number three is you're not going to take the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold them guiltless who takes his name in vain. I used to think Jesus wept was a course that we said. It's actually a verse in the Bible. But we used to say it as a course. What's always interested me about how English-speaking people, when we course, we use, and I'm not talking about effing and blowing them. I'm talking about taking the name. I'm taking the name of Jesus, but using it in the wrong way. But it's the only name we do that way. We, don't, we never go around saying, ah, for Harry's sake. Do we? No, we don't go around saying, ah, for Buddha's sake. Or for Allah's sake. Or whatever other thing you can think of. The only name we take in that context is Jesus. And if we can belittle his name by taking it in vain, then because scripture teaches us we're supposed to pray in that name because there's power in that name. So when we pray for somebody, we pray for healing for someone, we ask it in Jesus' name. But if I'm praying that with somebody and in that person's head, Jesus is just a coarse word that they use, then it's been demeaned and it's been lessened and the power of it has been lessened in that person's life. Does that make sense? So it's what we do with it. It's not about God's up there going, oh, oh, there they go again saying my name. He realizes the power that's in that name and, and how we demean it when we use it wrongly. And then we demean it, we leave ourselves short of something. Remember the Sabbath day. Not something that we, we have a big deal about here. Back in the day, they would have stoned people for doing work and all that kind of stuff. God walked for six days, and then he said we were supposed to rest on the Sabbath, okay? And keep it holy. Here's something interesting. Man's first day on earth was a day of rest. God walked and then rested. But the very first day man existed on earth, he rested, and then God put him to work. And what I really got from this is, we are supposed to live our life out of a place of rest with God. So why do we say you should go to church on a Sunday? It's not that you have to go. You're not going to go to heaven or hell because you go to church. You go to heaven or hell whether you have a relationship with Jesus. What church is about is building us up and helping us in that place of rest so that we get with community, we buzz off each other, we get built up and we get encouraged and from that place of rest in God. Not just because I got a lie in. But it's nice to get a lie in as well. We don't stay until 12 o'clock. That's to give us a chance of a lie in, right? It is Sunday. But, but from that place of rest, we then go and take on the rest of the week. There's very few people nowadays actually taking a Sabbath, having a day off. Jobs don't want you having days off. Lots of jobs now, even if you're off, they'll be sending you text messages and emails and all kinds of crap over the weekend because they, they want to stay connected with you and keep you going. One of the biggest problems in the corporate world at the minute is exhaustion and burnout. And it's young and old all across because people don't know how to take a day off and rest. And the reality of it is it's not just about taking the day off and sleeping. It is about taking the day off and, and at least committing a little piece of that day to connecting with God and giving yourself that chance to connect with God. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long. Two things about this. One, if we live with that, we will create stronger families. If we create stronger families, we will create stronger communities. We will live in a better world. 
And you look at the kids that are out there at the minute. I talked about this a little bit last week on Father's Day. And you look at the kids that are out there that are running wild and causing all kinds of havoc. They don't have a good family thing going on. They certainly don't live with that. And the reality of it is that is tearing our community apart. It's tearing our country apart. And it will continue to get worse until people begin to put some kind of family value back into that. It strengthens families. And it also helps us if we learn how to honor our earthly parents, how to honor our heavenly parents. Parents, sorry, God. You shall not murder. I think that was fairly straightforward, isn't it? It's not a good idea. Well, it's not, certainly not for the person you killed. And it's not for the person who you then have to carry the guilt of killing. Jesus brought it a little bit further in Matthew when he said, don't even hold it in your heart. You shall not commit adultery. Again, not even in your heart. In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, even if you, if you lust after a woman, he was talking to men. You've committed adultery with them in their heart. Now here's the thing. What, is he just trying to spoil the phone again? Or is he trying to protect something? Is he trying to go, if you live this way, it will be so much better for you, for your kids, for your world, than if you just go and do whatever you want. I was thinking about this this morning, actually, and I was thinking adultery is still, if I'm not mistaken, probably in over 90% of the countries in the world, it's still cited as a reason for divorce, for destroying a marriage. Can I just say something? Physical abuse is not. So there's something very specific about this that God wanted to, to look at and he wanted to protect. You shan't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't be lying. Sorry, you shall not steal. I skipped one, that's my fault. Um, Ephesians 4 says, give. Stop stealing and walk and give away. That's the, the Brian translation, but that's, that's the good of it. If you've been stealing enough now, and stealing doesn't just mean going in and robbing someone's handbag. Fiddling out taxes, quotes, lives as stealing. Robbing the social welfare, walks as stealing. Whatever it is, it's taking something that's not mine and using it for my benefit. I knew this was going to be a very popular day. Anyway, I have hope at the end of this, believe me. But here's the bit I want to say. If, if I'm the one who's been stolen from, I'm not a happy camper. So God wants to protect, and he wanted everybody to have the opportunity to be able to have and not be worried about it being taken from them. And in that verse in Ephesians, it talks about stop stealing, get a job, and then become generous instead of ripping people off. The next one is you shouldn't bear false witness against your neighbor. And I think just the next one, Tony, please. Whatever. It's like you end up like Pinocchio with a big nose. Lion doesn't get us anywhere. My ma used to say, a lawyer needs a good memory. Because you need to remember whatever you told them so the next time you're talking to them, you don't drop yourself in it. I was always dropping myself into it. I lied. It was kind of like my natural language for a long time. And then the last one, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbors. So you have to leave his donkey alone and don't be looking at other people's burgers while you're eating a cucumber because it'll only upset you. I was thinking about this too. There's a difference between admiring and coveting. 
you could have, like, let me see, you have a nice car. It looks lovely. And I've admired it many times. Actually, your friend has a much nicer car. Yeah. Right? Next week, we had a lovely car out there last week, a Corvette. It was beautiful. Got to turn around and rev it. That was as far as it got, but at least he let me turn around and rev it. Um, and it was, it was stunning, and I really admired it. I had to fight myself going home to be gone. Why can't I have one of them? Why should he have it? And coveting is about begrudging someone else having something, I think. More than just even being envious of it or... The trouble with being envious of it is it can lead you into begrudging them. And that's where it becomes selfish and it's really damaging. Because then no matter what you have, you can't be grateful for it because you begrudge someone else having something that you think is better. And you get robbed of the joy of whatever you've got. I have a car. I know I drive by hundreds of people every day who are standing at bus stops who'd love to have a car. But when I'm looking at someone else's car and begrudging that, I don't even have gratitude for what I've got. So you have a donkey, or you have a burger, or you have a whatever that poor child is eating, I don't know, but it looks like cucumber. I'd be making a face like that if I was eating cucumber. But you have it. And it's about trying to grasp the gratitude in what you've got and not even letting what you have be stolen on you or the joy in what you have been stolen on you by being so caught up in what somebody else has. And I want to, I need to leave you for two seconds because I have something out here on the I didn't leave you for very long. I brought the rubbish in. So there are the Ten Commandments, which you'll see a picture of there, okay? Our traditional way of looking at them, wrote on stone, laws, okay? The balloon represents me, or you. It's full of air, which is what we breathe, which is what we think life is, most of us. And the life I had, the Ten Commandments only did one thing. They brought me down, so I could never do it. Never. I was never going to be able to keep those. And maybe you are all better people than me. But I just could not have kept those. And that's only ten. That's without Jesus then going, never mind not committing adultery and killing her. You can't even do it in your heart. I murdered, I don't know how many people in my head. I ran off, I don't know how many women in my head. Fleetingly for a second, but I still did it. It was there. The temptation comes if you play with the temptation. You're gone. But when I met Jesus, what he did was he put his spirit to live inside of me. And he changed the way that I looked at all of the stuff to do with God. And instead of the way I grew up thinking that it was rules and that they were just going to weigh me down, what happened when I got the spirit living inside me was he filled me with real life. And it just brought me up and up and up. I put a good long spring in it so I can get it. Same Ten Commandments. Same person. But a very different perspective. Because what I see those Ten Commandments are now are promises of how I will not live my life. Not commands about what I can't do. Because Jesus lives inside of me, 
because the Spirit of God is living in me, he will help me not to put any other gods before him. He will help me not to build anything and worship it. It will build things, but it will be in its proper place. He will help me not to murder, even in my heart. He will help me not to commit adultery. He will help me not to take his name. He will help me to take a Sabbath and to remember him and want to go to church. Not go to church because I have to, but go to church because I want to. He will help me not to steal, not to lie, and not to be chasing after someone else's border. They are promises to those who live with the Spirit of God living inside of them. They are a burden to people who do not know Jesus. They will tear you down. But they were given in part as part of a covenant. God gave them to the Israeli people as part of a covenant. And it was a covenant relationship between God and his people. But it was the beginning of a covenant relationship between God and his people. Jesus finished it. He cemented it. And when he went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit as our deposit for what the future will be, but also as our strength for how to live now. So that we can live rather than being someone who has life. Because everybody you meet on them streets out there have life in them. That's why they're walking around. But they don't have the Spirit of God in them. And that's why when they encounter God or what they think God is, which is what I taught the Ten Commandments where it just weighs them down and it pulls them apart. Whereas when you have an encounter with Jesus and you get the Spirit living in you, what they become are promises and it becomes a much lighter and brighter and easier way to live. that make sense? I don't believe the Ten Commandments for us today are rules. I really believe the promises. That if you live by the Spirit, this is how you will live. And you can look at them and go, wow, God, you help me not lie anymore. You help me not run off with anyone. You help me not kill anybody. I haven't even ran over the neighbor's cat. I never robbed the curly woolly. I never liked them. But the reality of it is, God makes that difference if we let him. Amen? I'm a bit short in time, but questions? No? Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity of being here. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to live in this country and the weather that we get at the minute. We're blessed with it. And I just want to say thank you for it. I thank you for everybody who came here today because they picked today as a Sabbath. They picked today as a day that they would go and connect with you in a way that's different to the other six days of the week. They can sit with you on their own all week. They can pray, they can read the Bible, they can do all of that stuff, but there is something about us coming together as a community that you, you reach into us and you make a difference in. Lord, I thank you that the promises of God are yes and amen. I thank you that you have made a way for us to be able to live according to your purposes, according to your will, according to your rules. I thank you that your Ten Commandments have become Ten Promises. 
and that your Holy Spirit leads us into living that way. I pray, Father, for anyone who's in this room who is struggling. We're living for you, who's struggling with any of these rules and others. Stuff that they know that they need to, to get right with you. I pray that your spirit gives them the strength to be able to overcome in whatever area it may be. Lord, you didn't only say that there were rules to live by. You said you would give us the strength to live by them. You said that you would give us a, a teacher and a guide and a counselor and the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. So, Father, today I pray for an outpouring of your Spirit in this place. I pray that each and every one of us, including the kids out there, including Kathy, Trish, Anne, and all the kids that are out there, I pray your spirit would fall in a new way. I pray that you would touch our hearts in a way that they haven't been connected with before. I pray that you would change things inside of us. And Lord, not that we would change our lives because of some external pressure telling us that we're not good enough, but because there is an internal leading of your spirit to say there is a better way. There is God's way. Father, I ask that you would make this week, one of the best weeks of all of our lives. I pray that you would provide for everyone in this room, no matter what it is they need this week. Whether it's health, money, relationships, whatever it is. I pray that you would be paramount in our lives every day. You would help us to make you a priority every day. That we would not let anything else sneak into that place where you should be in our lives. Because Lord, in there is fullness of joy. The other stuff looks attractive, Lord, but in your presence is fullness of joy. Lord, have your way in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, Lord, I bless your people. May your face shine upon them. May you grant them peace. And then I know the fellowship of your Holy Spirit every single day of their lives. And I ask it in Jesus' name.